guys, I'm so grateful to be here. I love this place. Uh, you guys have, I don't know if you guys know this, you have one of the most amazing staff teams in the history of churches ever. Oh, that's what I was waiting for. That's what I was waiting for right there. Like, hey, can, can I do that again? And can you pretend that your pastors have just been through COVID and it's been hard on all of them? And can you act like you love them? You guys have one of the most amazing pastoral staffs. Uh, no, honestly, you guys, like every time I come here, I'm just so encouraged by uh, the amount of young people in the room. I'm so encouraged by the amount of giftedness and talent and ability and the way that people are using their gifts for Jesus. Uh, and I just love the heart that's here. I, I love Rob and his heart. Like, I wish you guys could hear the way Rob speaks about you when we talk in our lead pastor meeting, how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. And I love Justin and Sam and Kirby, like the whole team. You guys are just, it's a wonderful, wonderful place and a wonderful church. And so I'm always grateful when I get to be here, even when I think I bring the medium age up quite a bit in the room. Um, I, where are my gray hairs at? Do we have a few in the room? Come on. Let's stand together today, all five of us. Uh, Revelations chapter 3. We're, we're journeying through the letters of the, to the churches in Asia Minor and the letters in Revelation. Uh, we're going to talk about the church of Philadelphia today. That is not the church of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. I know there's a lot of people that have been trying to find America in the Bible. Uh, this is not it right here. Uh, Revelations chapter 3. And, and here's why this matters. This is what we've been talking about in Marietta. Is, is this matters because it's Jesus giving his word to the church. And although these letters weren't written to us, they are written for us. And so we can learn what's being presented to the other churches and apply that to our church. And the question that we've been asking as we've been journeying through this in Marietta is if Jesus were to write a letter to Grace Marietta, what would it say? What would his critiques be? What would his challenges be? What would his encouragements be? If he was to write a, a, a letter right now to Grace Midtown, what does that letter say? How does he encourage you? How does he inspire you? How does he challenge you? And so we want to pay attention to all of the things that are in here because there's things that we can learn by the way that Jesus is speaking to other churches. We can learn about his posture. We can learn about his heart. We can learn about his love. We can learn about what he wants to challenge and what he wants to affirm firm. And so all of those things matter. And in, in these passages in Revelation chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. The, the thing that's significant about this passage is, is, is they, there's two metaphors that are used. The first is the metaphor of a key, and the second is the metaphor of a door. Uh, and I was thinking about this. Uh, in, in 1998, there was a movie that came out. It wasn't a very good movie. I'm not suggesting that you watch it. But I remember it for some reason. Sometimes you just remember. I don't know why I remember bad movies. But I remember this. It was called Sliding Doors. It was a, a, a romantic comedy with Gwyneth Paltrow. Again, not a good movie, right? But, but here's the premise of the movie. And this is why I remember it. The premise of the movie is, is she's doing her normal day life. She gets fired from her job. She walks down into the subway of New York City, and there is a sliding door to the subway train, and she misses it. She, something, she stumbles. She misses the door. The door closes, and then the story goes on. But then there's a second set that shows what happens in her life when she walks through that door. So she doesn't stumble, and she ends up going through that door, and she sits next to a man, and she likes that man, and the relationship ensues, and all of these different things happen. And the story just shows her life, how different and dramatically different it would be because of one door. 
I don't know, I, I, I nerd out on stuff like this. Have you ever gotten to that point where you're going through life and you're thinking about, like, what if I had walked through that one door? What if I had something? So uh, a few weeks ago, we were driving. It was the beginning of the summer. I packed all my kids into the minivan. I'm doing the mini day, minivan life, right? I, I got a few more years of it. Uh, uh, minivans, parents, it's, you, there are no parents in the room. I don't even need to tell parent <laughs> stories. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a mess. But the kids get in the minivan. They cry. They, it's a mess. They, they, they argue and fight the whole time. Or they just put their music on so loud that you can hear it up front. And so we all gather into the minivan. My wife has, does this thing that when we get in the minivan on a trip, she gets bottled water. But my wife doesn't buy, like, this, is, this, this water actually says great value purified drinking water. My wife gets the bougie water, right? She gets, like, the, the this big of water thing. Like, it's, giant, it's in, like, a glass bottle, and it's from, like, I don't know, it's from somewhere where Jesus walked, and it was blessed by John the Baptist, and it's purified in a billion different ways, and it's the holiest wine. So she buys these giant drinks. And so we're driving, and, and she says, I have to go to the bathroom. We pull off, and we stop because she drank 85 pounds of water that morning. And, and when we walk into, I don't know, this is like pilot station. And we walk in, and, and I smell instantly Cinnabon. And I'm not a gas station food guy. I don't think many of us are. But for some reason that morning, I was, I was hungry, and I could smell the, the, the Cinnabon, and I was thinking about how good those things were. I was like, I'm getting me one of those. And so I stood in line at the pilot station. I got my Cinnabon. I get back in the car. Everybody else gathers back in the car, and, and we start driving. And it's hard to eat a Cinnabon while you're driving. This is what I realized. It was a bad decision, right? It was Because they give you a plastic fork, uh, and, the, and you think the Cinnabon at the gas station is going to be... Normal, and it's, not, it's like hard as a rock, right? So it's, a, it's like, it's been sitting there probably five or six days. You just kind of, you're all right with that. When you're buying gas station food, you've like given yourself over to the idea that that's all right. And so I'm trying to cut this thing with a fork, and all of a sudden, policeman pulls up behind me. I get pulled over. I was driving 84. I didn't realize it because I was eating a Cinnabon. And, and here's what happens in my life. I don't know if you guys do this. I didn't feel any remorse or repentance about speeding. I didn't look at myself and think, Man, I should pay more attention while I'm driving. I shouldn't drive over the speed limit. What I did was I said, if you hadn't drank that water, <laughs> right? If I hadn't pulled into that gas station, if we hadn't been at that pilot station, if I hadn't smelled the Cinnabon, if I hadn't walked through that door, my whole day would be different and I wouldn't owe the state of Florida $170 right now. You do that. Anybody else with me? You start thinking about your life and you start thinking about the doors that you've walked through. You start thinking about the keys and, and, and how things have worked out and all of the ways our life could be significantly different with just minor shifts and minor changes. In Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The angel of the church of Philadelphia writes the words of the Holy One, the true one, that's Jesus, the key of David. He holds the key of David, it says, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts what no one will open. I love that, All right? The, the key of David that Jesus holds is the key that opens what no one else will shut and shuts what no one else will open. What he's talking about is Jesus holds the keys to the heavenly realm. 
right? When Jesus came to earth, he started announcing the kingdom has come, right? The heavenly realms have come down to earth. And there's all of these beautiful explanations of what Jesus brings when he steps into our lives and when he steps into our world. So when the incarnational Jesus walked on earth, all of a sudden miracles started happening that we hadn't seen before. All of a sudden, things started to take place. Prophecies started to be fulfilled. Teaching started to happen. Amazing things that we couldn't hope for or imagine started to happen. I believe that the living God, when he walks into our lives today, the same things happen. That Jesus has the key to the heavenly realms. And what he's referencing is a passage in Isaiah 22, 22. And it says this, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. It's a prophecy. And it's a really good one. And he's giving this prophecy in Isaiah to a man named Eliakim. And Eliakim is this prophet, and he's saying what this prophet is going to do is this prophet is going to hold the key to David, and this prophet is going to hold the key to the heavenly realms, and this prophet in some ways is going to bring heaven down to earth, but this prophecy ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus when he walks the earth. Because Jesus taught us how to pray, and when he taught us how to pray, he said, in heaven as it is in earth. On earth as it is in heaven is what he says. And then he talks about there's a veil there's this veil. Paul talks about this veil between heaven and earth. And, and, and we can't see all of it. It says in, in Corinthians, we see in part, but we don't see in whole. But there's always something else happening in the heavenly realms. That there's always something bigger happening around us. The Celts call it a thin space. There's this thin space between heaven and earth. And there are moments sometimes when you're in a church service like this. Or sometimes when you're opening your Bible and sitting at the coffee shop. Or sometimes when you're sitting with your kids around the dinner table. There are moments where it just feels like heaven and earth have come close. It just feels like a door has been opened to something holy. It feels like something's happening that's significant and important. I don't know if you've ever met somebody that you feel like they have a key to the heavenly realms that you don't. How many people in here have like a really holy mom or grandma that just prayed for you? And when grandma or mom prays, something happens. Are you with me? Like both, both of my grandmas, when they prayed, man, something happened. And my mom, like I called my mom this week. I, I, I was, I was work, I'm working on this new business thing. And I was like, mom, it's not going really well. I just got, I got to get, pe- get some people to sign up for this. Mom, will you pray? My mom prayed. Three people signed up the next day. My mom was over at our house. I remember this really clearly. We, my kids were little, and one of my kids had lost his, iPod, his, his iPad. Uh, he just couldn't find it anywhere, and he was hysterical. I don't know. One of our boys was like eight or nine years old. And my mom was like, okay, we've been looking, but we can't find it, so we got to pray. I was like, mom, just keep looking. Like, just, like, <laughs> for real, like, just look around. And, and, and so my mom, like, disappears for a minute, and she comes back. She's like, it's in the fireplace. And I was like, how do you know it's in the fireplace? She was like, I prayed, and I saw fire. And I was like, come on, Mom. And one of the kids walks over and is like, Nene's right. It's in here. <laughs> like, I don't know what happens. My mom has a key. Jesus loves my mom more than he loves me. Like, he listens when she, she's got a key to the heavenly realms. I don't know if you've been around somebody that when they pray, something happens. That when they prophesy, they hit the nail on the head. That when they sing... 
Something happens in the room when they use their giftedness, when they teach, something goes on. And you look at those people, and, and, and here's my prayer recently. When I see somebody doing that, you know what I pray? I pray, Jesus, can I do that? Like, can you tell me where the iPad is? Like, when I pray, can you, like, can you open the doors? Can you give me the key to something in the heavenly realms that impacts the world and changes the world that we live in today? It says Jesus is the one that holds the key. He's the holy one. And what if we started praying for the keys? What if we started asking Jesus when we feel powerless? What if we said, Jesus, you have the key to power. Will you give me authority and power? What if when we started feeling hopeless, we said, Jesus, you are the key to hope. Uh, will you give me hope and joy and passion and excitement in my life? When we feel empty, will you say, Jesus, you have the key to fill me up and will you overflow all over me so that I can pour out what you've given me to the world around me? Verse eight there in chapter three, it says this, and I love this. It says, I know your works. As I was studying this passage this week, this made me feel really reassured. There's something really reassuring in the fact that Jesus sees you. Are you with me? That Jesus sees your life. That he knows what's going on. I think Jesus is looking at the church in America right now and he's saying, pastors, I see you. It's been hard. It's been a long season for all of us. We've gone through so much in the past year. I see the trauma. I see the hurt. I see the hardship. I see the difficulty. I see the challenges. I see the arguments that have been going on. I see the disagreements. I see the backfighting. I see the pain. I see the hurt. I see you and I know your works. And the church of Philadelphia was, was, was this church that is one of the churches that got its meaning from the church, the, the, the city of brotherly love. That's what, it's, that's what it comes from. So the Philadelphia in America comes from this. The Hawks just beat them. I know. We can celebrate that later. Um, but it was the center in this, in this territory, in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, for culture and language. Uh, Philadelphia was kind of launched out of Pergamum. Pergamum was kind of like the Roman capital of that time. And what the Romans would do was they would send out what they would call cultural agents into certain different cities to transform the cities. And so they would send out people who would bring the arts they would bring music, they would bring beauty, they would bring philosophy, they would bring all of these things, and they would go almost as missionaries for Rome. Right? And so what, what Pergamum did is they said Philadelphia is in this strategic place. It's this strategic location that opens Rome up to a larger area. And so we're going to build a city there, and we're going to send these cultural agents. The word that Rome used for these cultural agents was apostles. We're going to send these apostles to this place so that we can open up a door to the region. Does that make sense? So it's this strategic city that matters. In AD 17, there's this huge earthquake that happens in Philadelphia. Half of the city is destroyed. It all falls down. And then subsequently, nearly every two or three years, there's these minor earthquakes that shake the place. So it's kind of a terrifying place to live, right? You're in this place where, which is shaken, which at any point can kind of fall apart. The cities, like we saw this week, that, that apartment complex in Miami that just went down. This is Philadelphia, right? At any point, the very place that we're living could be shaken and could fall down. And it's this hostile environment. There's lots of persecution for any believer that's there. And so the church in Philadelphia is trying to be cultural agents for Jesus in a community that, has, that is full of cultural agents for something else. Feels like that in America sometimes, right? 
It feels like we're trying to be apostles for Jesus. We're trying to talk about the way of the word, the way of Jesus, the way of the risen Christ. When around us, there are all these cultural agents that are talking about the way of America, the way of the empire, the way of our community around us. And so we have to be in the world, but not of the world, as Jesus talked about it. So here's what happens. Jesus says, I know your works. And here's what's interesting about the the letter to Philadelphia. It's the only letter where there is no critique with it. So all of the other letters, there is a pattern that follows it. There's a statement at the beginning, which is kind of a a, a picture or an image, right? This one is a key. And there's another one that's a sword. There's all of these different images that come with it. Then there comes a critique. Uh, in, in, In Pergamum, in that passage, it says, Jesus says, here's some things I have against you. That's not a great way to start. Like, I don't want Jesus to go in on me that way, right? There's like some serious stuff that comes out. But in, in, in this passage, there's no critique. There's only this kind of moment of, here are the good things that I see that you're doing. And so I started to ask myself, like, why? Why didn't Jesus go in on Philadelphia the way that he went in on everybody else? Because there's problems in the church of Philadelphia. I am certain that that church is not without problems. I'm certain that that church is not without critique. In fact, nobody in this time, nobody who's writing about the history of those seven churches is saying, like, Philadelphia was just killing it. They were the best church around. They weren't. But here's what I know. They were the church out of the seven churches that were hurting the most. And Jesus, in this beautiful, pastoral, loving way, doesn't go in on them, doesn't battle with them, doesn't say, here's the five problems that I see in your context. He lovingly says, I know your works. I see you. Because sometimes we don't need Jesus to come at us. We just need Jesus to hold us. I love John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen this glory, this glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that image, that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. So his grace was never without truth, and his truth was never without grace. What we often do is we try and decide whether we're going to bring truth or we're going to bring grace. Right? There are some of us that are truth people. Some of you know who you are. Uh, you just want to bring the truth to somebody. Right? There are moments like in the minivan with my children, and I just want to bring some truth bombs to my kids. I just want to say, like, my oldest is 19, and he thinks he's figured out the world, and he doesn't know anything. <laughs> right? And I just, I'm sorry for you 19-year-olds. God, I love you. You don't know anything. Right? I, I just want to say to him, like, son, I love you, but you've got so much life to figure out these things. You do not know what you're talking about. And I want to just drop some truth bombs on him at times. You know what that feels like. But I know that I'm also called to grace. And I want to inhabit not just this technique of using grace and truth to get what I want. I want to inhabit the posture of Jesus, which means I'm full of both of those things. And so I'm constantly calibrating this with my kids. How do I bring both grace and truth to my kids? How do I challenge them, but in the same time let them know they're deeply loved and cared for? And then there's other times where I don't want to bring truth. Like I'm a people pleaser, guys. I want everybody to like me. This has been a hard year as a pastor. Right? 
I was getting all these emails, everybody angry with me about masks and no masks and Trump and no Trump and who and who and all these different things that kept coming at me from every direction. And I just wanted to say, like, can I just, guys, preach the Bible? Like, can we just go get a Cinnabon, right? Can we just be friends? Like, I, I don't, and I didn't want to get into some of that sometimes. I didn't want to deliver the truth, right? The scripture says that we are the ambassadors of Christ, that we are the ones, we are his spokespersons. And there's moments where we actually have to speak the truth. I had a moment a few weeks ago where I just had challenge after challenge in our congregation. I felt like I was just sitting down with everybody else. And I, was, I, I sat down with my wife and we were praying together. And I just said, honey, I'm tired because I just wish somebody else would deliver the truth sometimes. Have you ever felt that way? I'm tired of being an ambassador. This is hard work. It's difficult. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he's full of grace and truth. And he models a way of inhabiting both that says we can do the same thing. And so we step into this knowing that there is a possibility for us to walk into the world with the key that is Jesus and to be people of grace and truth. We don't back down from the true things that we need to say but also don't back down from the posture of love that Jesus exhibits over and over and over again. And so I'm praying, and I hope that you'll pray, that Jesus will teach me how to be full of grace and truth. It'll teach me over and over again to be the person who says, I know your works, I see you, but also the person that has the courage to challenge at times. It goes on, the next illustration moves from a key to a door. It says, verse 8, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, but you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. He says, I know you have little power. Like, I know you're just this little church. I know there's just this tiny place, but I've placed you in this place where there is a door that you can open to the world. Can I just suggest, I think that's the message that Jesus wants to give to you today. I know that you may feel powerless I know you may feel like you're just figuring it out. I know you may feel tired. I know you may feel hurt. I know you may feel wounded. I know you may feel all sorts of feelings right now. But there is a door that you could open for the world that could bring beauty, that could bring hope, that could bring joy, that could bring peace, that could bring the kingdom to earth. Over and over and over again, Jesus talks about this. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. I love that image, right? We're not just created by him. We're his masterpiece is what other pieces say. We are the masterpiece of God. We were created with something in mind because it says this. We're not just his workmanship. We're not just his masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created for what? For good works. That word good works there is not like I'm going to help somebody cross the street. It's not like I'm going to take groceries to my neighbor. That word actually means occupation. We were created. We were God's masterpiece. He looked at you before you were born and said, I'm going to put a little bit of this in them. And I'm going to put a little bit of this in them. I'm going to put the ability to sing. I'm going to put the ability to pray. I'm going to put the ability to dream. I'm going to put the ability to to, to draw. I'm going to put the ability to write. I'm going to put the ability to lead. I'm going to put the ability to make money. I'm going to put the ability, I don't know what the ability is, but he puts all of this stuff in us from creation. He, we're the masterpiece, but he had in mind when he created us. He put the stuff in us because he wanted to get something out of us. 
He put this stuff in us because we were created by him and for him so that we would be the people who walk into the, to, to our culture and open a door for others. We're his masterpiece created by him and for him to do the good works that he prepared for us beforehand so that we will walk in them. What if there is a door that you were created to open that nobody else can open but you? What if there is a task and a project and an occupation that Jesus has set before you and he created you and made you for it? And what if you're so busy with your Cinnabon that you have completely missed the sliding door that opens for you? It's easy for us to fall asleep. It's easy for me to fall asleep to the purposes that God has for me. Ephesians 5.14 says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the love of Christ will shine upon you. We wake up to the reality that God exists and that he's moving and that he's working and that he has a purpose and a calling for us. Once we wake up, we rise up and we do something about it. We put our feet to action. We, we actually step into the calling and the life that he's called us to. And then what happens on the back end of that is we become alive. We use this phrase in Marietta to talk about this. We talk about this idea of we become awake. We become awake to what God is doing. We become awake that God is always present and at work, that he's always speaking to me, that he's always inviting me into what he's up to. And so I become awake to the presence of God in my life every single moment of every single day. Jesus is with you every moment. The problem is we're not aware of his presence. And so we become awake to his presence. Then we become aligned with his purposes. We become awake to his presence, but after that, we become aligned to his purposes, which means I want to walk where the Spirit leads. I want to learn to walk in my calling. I want to learn to walk in my giftedness. I want to learn to walk in the spaces that Jesus has called me to. I want to learn to walk in all of these things. And then what happens on the other side of that is that we become alive. Like, I think there's a lot of people that are bored with the church. Because we've never become awake to what God's calling us to and we've never aligned ourselves with the Spirit. And so we're just showing up every Sunday listening to a sermon and that's boring. We're just showing up, singing a couple songs and who cares? Like we gather in here so that we can do something out there. We gather in here so that the Holy Spirit can wake us up to what he's calling us to the other seven days of the week, the other six days of the week. Like in American culture, we've created this consumerism where the church is a one-day-a-week operation. We put all our time and effort into two hours on Sunday where we sit and we gather and we listen and we take some notes and then we go away and we're not changed and we're like, I don't know why I'm bored with church. We're losing a generation of young people in the church because the church has become a place that dreams come to die instead of a place where dreams come to life. And I want to reimagine that, guys. I want a movement to come out of the Grace family of redemptive entrepreneurship that changes this city and changes the world for good. I want to gather people together and say, this is your kingdom dream. This is your kingdom calling. This is the thing that you were created to do. You are his masterpiece created to do this good work. And when you step into it, something comes to life. Have you ever worked a job that just feels like it's tireless? You just clock in and clock out every single day and you're bored and worn out and you don't like what you're doing and you don't enjoy what's happening. Well, maybe it's because you're called to something else. Maybe it's because there's this other thing that God created you for and it's inside of you and it's waiting to come out. And here's why this matters. I always say this phrase, when the people of God fail to bear fruit, the world goes hungry. 
But when the people of God failed to open the missional doors that God's invited them to, then the doors always closed. Like I think about my life and I think about people that opened up doors for me in my life. You know, we all have them, right? My, my mom sat with me with the Bible every night for the first 16 years of my life and just opened up the door to me loving the Bible. She opened up a door to salvation. I accepted Jesus into my life as a kid. I got baptized. I, I, like this whole thing started to open up in this beautiful thing. I was, I was a freshman in high school and there was this guy at my church named Terry Paulman who taught the seventh grade boys Sunday school class. Like whoever teaches the seventh grade boys Sunday school class is the holiest among you. Right? He's the holiest person in the church. Terry was the holiest person in the church. And Terry looked at me when I was a freshman in high school and he said, you can teach. God has called you to teach the word. And when he did it, he didn't realize he was putting a key in my hand and opening up a door. And he said, I want you to come and teach this Sunday school class with me. For four years, I taught seventh grade boys Sunday school. And I realized I was called to be a preacher. I went to college I showed up at this big giant church. This pastor's name was Jim Lyon, was the pastor of the church. And they were hiring a youth pastor. And I had zero experience and it was this big church. And I was like, there's no way they're gonna hire me. I put on a tie. I went into the interview. I just kinda, all right, Lord, whatever you want. And he hired me. And he opened up this space where I could lead a bunch of young people. And he opened up this door and he handed me the key and I started, something started to come to life in me. And I started to say, Jesus, this is it. I loved basketball at the time. I wanted to be a basketball coach. That's all I wanted to do. And I, I'm telling you, the more the kingdom of heaven opened up, the more I started to see the door and the key, the more basketball became so less significant in my life. But I'm still cheering for the Hawks. <laughs> Romans 8.19 says this, and, and, and I, I want you to hear this. It says, for creation waits with eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Who's waiting for you to open the door for them? Who's waiting for you to hand them the key? Who's waiting for you to invest in them and say, if we are the, the ones opening the doors, then the doors are going to remain shut. Guys, we live in a culture that's obsessed with me over we. Jonathan Sachs wrote a brilliant book called Morality. Restoring the common good in divided times. And then he says this, our culture cannot be sustained simply by politics and economics. It needs a third element. That element is morality. It's a concern for the welfare of others. It's an active commitment to justice and a willingness to ask not just what is good for me, but what is good for all of us together. Creation is waiting for the people of God to stand up and say, I'm going to build something that's a door for you. There's so many young leaders in this space right now. I don't believe that the church is not putting out young leaders. I don't believe it. I don't believe that the quality of our young leaders is going down in the church. I don't believe the nonsense about generation whatever is doing this thing and they've messed everything up. I don't believe any of that nonsense. You know what I believe? I believe the older leaders like me are not opening doors for young leaders to walk through. 
And I want to spend the rest of my life opening up doors for redemptive entrepreneurship. I want to spend the rest of my life opening up doors for, for, for Christian leaders to step in and say, I'm going to create the thing that God called me to. I'm going to build this thing. And I'm terrified every step of the way. And I'm not sure what this looks like. And I don't know how I'm going to make money. And I don't know how this is going to happen. But I'm going to follow Jesus because I believe he's the keys to provision. I believe he's the keys to hope. I believe he has the keys to my future. And I believe that he's good. And what happens is we have this dream, we have this kingdom dream inside of us that God's planted in us from the beginning, but we get weak and we get timid and we're afraid and we say, well, somebody else already started that or somebody else is already doing something. There's already an intern doing this kind of thing or there's already this. Yeah, there may be somebody else doing it, but nobody can do it the way that you did it because God created you in advance to do it. He put the thing inside of you so that it would come out. He gave you the giftedness and abilities and talents so that you can birth the thing that he's called you to birth in the world. And if I could say one thing, guys, I was praying as we were coming down here this morning. I, like, I, honestly, I was just praying, Lord, like, what do you want me to bring? What do you want me to do? And, and I, I felt this strong sense. And, and you guys can email me in the future. Please, God, somebody email me in the future and tell me it came true. But I think there's a dream in this room that Jesus wants to come to life today. I think you know that there's a dream on your heart that is for the kingdom and it's good and it's going to be good for the city and it's not going to just think about us, it's going to think about the world around us and it's going to breed beautiful things in the world once it's planted. And I think today Jesus wants to give some courage to somebody to say, I see you, I've got the key and you can open the door. We started about six or eight months ago in Marietta, using the language awakening kingdom dreams. That's actually the vision for our church. We want to awaken kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep so that people can live out the dream that God has called them to. And so we started these what we call dream factory gatherings, or just gathering people who are entrepreneurs, people who want to start a business, people who want to start a ministry, people who want to start something in their community that they believe is good. We just start gathering groups of leaders and praying and talking and walking through some exercises and doing this work. And, and in the last year, it's been so amazing. Like it's the most fun I've ever had as a pastor. I get to walk with all these entrepreneurs and all these leaders who are creating these fresh new ideas and new things. We started a mobile coffee truck. We started this, this guy in our, this older guy in our congregation started an adventure retreats thing where he takes men on adventure retreats and talks about the Bible as he does it. We, we, we started an adopt-a-teacher program where all the teachers in our community and in all the feeder schools that are connected to our feeder school will get encouragement throughout the year, get prayed for, and get loved on. We created a mental health training center that is specifically for pastors who are struggling with how to care for their churches and the mental health in their community, and we've gathered a group of pastors around where, where these mental health professionals are helping them in, in this process of how they love the church well. We start a fine arts training center. We've got an AAU basketball program. We've got all of these things that are launching out of the church. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The church has nothing to do with it. This wasn't the pastor's idea. I'm not leading the program. I'm not trying being like, hey, we got to get this done at this time. Like, I'm just walking beside them and saying, hey, if you've got a dream, I want to help you make it come to life. I don't know of a better picture of what the church could be, guys. For too long, the church has been the place where the pastor has stood up in front of the church and said, here's my dream for the church. 
And here's 45 ways you can sign up to help us out. You can serve in the parking lot. You can help with the kids. These poor babies, somebody needs to hold them, right? You can do this. You can sing. You can do all of those things. But it's all about us right here. Like, I want to flip the script on that. I want to be the pastor that says, look, every single person within the sound of my voice has a kingdom dream that's in your heart. And the church wants to be the place that helps unleash that dream on the world. I want to see the priesthood of all believers begin to happen. And I want it to flow out of the Grace family in such a way that there are all these doors being opened everywhere. And when I retire, when I'm done with ministry, I don't know when that's going to be, 20 years, 30 years. I'm going for 40. I want to, I want to keep going strong. When I'm done, I want a bunch of people around me saying, man, you invested in this person who opened up this door for me. You invested in this person who opened up this door for me. I want a discipleship movement that transforms our community and our world, and I want it to be built around the kingdom dream that God has placed inside of you. So we're going to move into a ministry time. The band's going to come up, and, and, and I hope I've fired you up a little bit. I, I, I can do that a little bit. But listen, here, here's, here's the two questions that I want you to think about right now, and I want you to pray about it. The living God is here in this room right now. That's what we sang about as we started the service. The Holy Spirit is moving and working, and there is power and authority in this place, and he wants to meet you here. He knows your works, he sees you, and he loves you. And here's the questions I want you to think about. What's the key that I need to ask Jesus for? What's the area of my life where I just need breakthrough and I'm not getting it, and, and I've got to trust that Jesus holds the key? And then what's the door that I'm called to open? What's the kingdom dream that's in your heart that is waiting to come to life? And I'm crazy enough to believe that there's a bunch of crazy leaders who are going to go out there and just start the things that Jesus has called them to. And that amazing things are going to happen. So Heavenly Father, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move and work and do the work that I can't do as preaching. That you would do that work in the hearts and the minds of the believers and of your children in this room. I pray that you would encourage your sons and daughters and help them to know that you see them. That you know their works and that you love them. I pray that you would stir up vision for the future. I pray that you would remind them of the door that you have opened for them. And I pray that you would release a movement of kingdom dreams from the Grace family that transforms this city in the future. And when it happens, Lord Jesus, you'll get all the praise and all the glory. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. Thanks for letting me be here, guys.